Hi, friends. Welcome to the Unfolding Words podcast. I'm your host, Antracia Moorings, and every week I come to share biblical truth to offer light for your walk and life for your soul. Thank you for tuning in this week. I so appreciate it. I know I say it every week, but I do appreciate those who come back week after week and join me for some time in the word. So this pandemic has been leading to a lot of spiritual insight for me. And two episodes ago, I talked about how many people are taking their freedom too far and it's evident now more than ever. And I mentioned that people are protesting because they are past tired of this pandemic. So in their eyes, it's over. So they're going out without masks, congregating in restaurants, because in their eyes, This is the right thing to do, despite the fact that people are still being infected. People are still dying from COVID-19. And isn't that just like us humans to determine what's right and wrong based on what we want? And this applies to our spiritual lives as well. God is good with us until he starts laying down guidelines for how we're to live, what we're to do with our money, how we use our words, what we watch and listen to, how we use our bodies and how we deal with sex and relationships. We want a God who stays out of our business and lets us do what is right in our own eyes, but then, you know, answers our prayers and blesses us. Because anything other than that is a God who is narrow-minded and archaic. In the book of Judges, tells us a story of how the nation of Israel, after the tribes have settled in the land of Canaan, how they deal with God's commandments. And they're continually told in the book prior to that, which is the book of Joshua, to go and drive out the enemies out of their promised land. And this commandment continues in the book of Judges. But many choose not to do so. And it turns out to be a big mistake. So during this time, The nation of Israel is guided by judges who are to lead them in battle against their enemies. And in Hebrew, the word judges means to judge or to put things right. And the judges are like community leaders, not judicial judges, but they're community leaders who are established to get things done for God's people. So the judges, they don't give any legal rulings, but they take whatever action is necessary, including going to war. And they judge Israel's enemies by overpowering them in the name and the power of God. But the book of Judges tells us this, that everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Right is the same word that's used for judge to make straight, to make right. And every single person was determining what was right. They were the judge of what right was. And this ultimately led to anarchy. And so in the book of Judges, this is a dangerous, lawless time. The Israelite society is fragmented and the enemies are closing in aggressively. And there's a great decline in moral values. And at the beginning of the period, there's no clear leader to follow Joshua, who was just as a strong leader as Moses was before him. But in the book of Judges, that does not exist anymore. And the book of Judges, if you've ever read the book in its entirety, it includes some of the worst stories of the Bible. And I don't mean 
worse in the way of how the story is told, but I mean the content of the stories. There's a man who's violently killed by a woman who drove a tent peg through his head. There's Japheth who makes a rash and a foolish covenant with God. And he ends up thinking that sacrificing his daughter will be the thing that will please God. And then one of the most famous characters from the book of Judges is Samson, whose strength was zapped both spiritually and physically because he was a slave to his sexual desires. And he was more concerned with the conquest with women who God tells him to avoid than he was with the conquest that he's supposed to do for God. And he ends up dying this tragic and senseless death as he gets vengeance on his enemies. Then there's a story of a woman who's raped all night by a mob because of a careless Levite. Levites are the ones who were responsible for the priesthood and the maintenance of the tabernacle and the temple. And the list goes on and on with the awful stories in the book of Judges. And the book of Judges is troubling. Like you go through that book and you're like, where is God? Why is he letting this happen? And the book closes with these very dark words. In those days, there was no king in Israel. All the people did what was right in their own eyes. So even though the people were doing evil things at this time, God was willing and ready to save his people like he always is. And he wanted to forgive them if they would repent. So let's back up a little bit. When God delivered Israel from Pharaoh in the book of Exodus, he had established them as his people, his treasured possession. But With that came along some guidelines that he had to lay down. And in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 12, verse 8, it says, You shall not do according to all that we are doing here today. This is what Moses is saying to the people. Everyone was doing whatever is right in his own eyes. And this is exactly what we see in Judges when there's no king in sight. So the king was supposed to serve God and his people, and he was supposed to serve as a model of the law of God in both his personal and his public life. We see this outlined in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 17. So without a king to serve as a model for them and to guide them, the Israelites did whatever was right in their own eyes, not in the eyes of the Lord. And the book of Judges shows how Israel is basically destroyed everything that Joshua achieved for them. Joshua established control of the land and Judges 1 shows the loss of that land. Joshua established an obedient and a unified people who honored a renewed covenant. Judges chapter 2 shows us the breaking of the covenant and how disobedient the people have become. And then Joshua established strong leadership that everyone looked up to. And then Judges 3 and 16 shows that The leadership crisis is just going into a decline. It just worsens. So Judges focuses on this theme of kingship, even though there is no king in sight. And it shows all of the difficulties that come along with a nation that does not have strong leadership and a king in place. Gideon refused kingship and said that Yahweh was the only king. But the thing is, they didn't want a king. But God ultimately wanted to be their king. That's what he wanted for them. Later on, we see in the book of Samuel that he gives them a king, and that turns out into a mess as well. 
but it was always God's plan for him to be the king over his people. And by the way they lived, they kicked against all the rules that he set up through himself and through the judges that he established. The book of Judges is basically a case study on what happens when people please themselves instead of God. When Israel lost their generation of strong leaders who brought them through the wilderness into the promised land, they also lost their memory. They lost their remembrance of everything that God had done by miraculously saving them, all of the provision that he gave them in the wilderness, and all of the unity that was established for the prior generation. And without this sense of community and the sense of remembrance, the people ended up with no motivation to love God or their neighbors as themselves. Instead, they acted selfishly. This proved that they really did need a savior. They needed a leader who could unite them to God himself. So let's consider the ways that we do what's right in our own eye. Number one, we set the standard based on our preference. A lot of times we have managed to keep our lives afloat. So by our standards, we clearly know what's right. Like we have managed our finances well. We have jobs and cars and homes. So we know what to do. We know what's right, right? So think of a relationship where the wife seeks to give her husband a gift and she buys him what she thinks he likes because she thinks she knows him because she's been with him all these years. So she never stops to ask him, honey, what would you like for your birthday or whatever the occasion is? So she goes out, she buys this elaborate gift because it's something that she would want. So, of course, he would want it as well. Right. Because she thinks she knows him and she gives him the gift that she likes without considering his desires. And it's all wrong because it's not at all what he wanted. And a lot of us treat God that same way. When we serve God, we do what we prefer or what we think is best instead of trying to understand what God wants. And what God wants is not even a thought in our minds. We just go with our heart. We do what we want. Follow your heart, right? Isn't that what society tells us to do? And we worship God in a way that is unacceptable to him, or we don't consider that what we watch or listen to or the way we talk may be dishonoring to him. We may have sex with whoever we want because that's what society does. And we say what's right without considering God's intent. When he created these very things, he created marriage, he created sex, he established relationships. But instead of honoring the way that God wants us to live these out, we say we know what's best because we want to do what's right in our own eyes. And then secondly, we take pride in our personal walk of faith. A lot of people treat faith as a personal matter. We don't want anybody intruding on our faith. Our walk with God is personal. Nobody can have any input on it, especially not God, right? And I, I am being sarcastic here. <laughs> But true faith is really outside of ourselves, is external to us. Faith should, of course, live in our hearts, but it doesn't originate there. Faith should come from the word of faith, which is preached. We see this in Romans 10 verses 8 through 10. And a lot of people 
make the mistake of relying on their own personal faith, which is a mix of do-it-yourself faith made up of whatever seems true or sounds good to them at that moment. They mix new age with their personal beliefs, a little bit of that, a little bit of this, and then they have their own little personal walk with God or a God that has been created by them. And then we expect God to honor this mixed bag of faith and obey what we set down as law it happens all the times. And it happens in very subtle ways until the God that we serve is not even close to the God, the true and living God of this world. And a lot of times people don't mind holding a faith that's different from everyone else's, especially in the United States. We see faith as a reflection of our own uniqueness and our individuality. But this kind of faith is an illusion. It's smoke and mirrors and it cannot save you. It's not a saving faith. Faith is not like your favorite food or your favorite restaurant. You like your food and I like mine. And we agree to have different opinions on that. That's fine. There's no offense there. We don't usually contend for our favorite food. We don't usually like go in the streets and protest about our right to like our favorite restaurant or our favorite food. Even when we get to choose which restaurant we go to, usually we don't see any harm in each of us having his or her own favorite food. But a lot of people see faith like that. But faith is something that we have to contend earnestly for this. We see this in Jude chapter one and three, and it's something that we must have unity in. It's not an individual thing. We see this unity explained in Ephesians four and 13. And faith is not just something personal within us. Instead, it's something that God has mandated in it that we uphold by laying aside our own personal beliefs and philosophies for his. Paul says in 2 Timothy 4 and 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So Paul is telling us that when Jesus confronted him on the road to Damascus in the book of Acts, he stopped opposing the faith. He stopped kicking against the goads, which is what he says, which is what Jesus says that he was doing. And he started contending for the faith instead. That faith changed Paul's life completely. So if you know the story of Paul, he was once Saul who was murdering and killing Christians because they believed in Jesus. So after he met Jesus, all his whole entire life changed his beliefs and even his name. But Paul never changed the faith. The faith changed him. He simply kept it. Let us make the faith personal. We, we should absolutely do that in the sense that it changes us into the image of Christ. We don't change the faith into the image of us. We contend for it as Christ presented it. And then we become united in it under God. So when Paul said, I have finished the race, he did not run a course that he chose because many of us would choose the easy route, right? We choose the flatland next to the ocean with the sea breeze. But God established the race for him by an outside authority, which was Jesus Christ. So faith is a 
course that's laid down by God. We don't choose the course. We instead simply choose to run with endurance the race that's set before us as we look unto Jesus, who's the author and the finisher of our faith. So even if everyone is doing it, whatever it is, we cannot do wrong and call it right. Isaiah 5 and 20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Doesn't that sound a lot like our society today? So it's a common everyday occurrence for people to insist that some way of living or belief is right when it has long been thought of to be wrong. But if we as Christians speak out and say that it's still wrong, then you're labeled the wrongdoer because you don't agree with or live like those who are doing the wrong. Those who are wrong will always make themselves out to be right, while you who are right are called the evildoer. Our society is so backwards. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 4, 3 and 5, how the world lives in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. Verse five says, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So on TV today, on movies and music, social media, most kinds of sexual immorality, sex outside of marriage, shacking up, cursing, partying, getting drunk, lying, cheating. There's all sorts of things that oppose God that are shown to be normal. And the government passes laws to grant people the right to do the wrong that God says is wrong. And this gives the wrong appearance of who has authority. So people can call evil good and parade it around as progress, but it's going to be evil because it's been evil since the start of time, because that's what God established. God lets us know what is good. He established the good things. We see this in Genesis, in the book of Genesis. So despite anyone's attempts, whether they are ancient or from today's society, despite any attempts to make it good, if it's evil, it's still evil. Now, a lot of people read the book of Judges and say, how could God let these atrocities happen? But remember, God gave people divine directions, but they did not choose to follow them. So he let them have their own way. God is not the author of evil in the Bible. He's not the author of evil in the book of Judges, in this world, or in your life. He provides a good and a perfect way. We just have to take his truth as truth and walk in the way that he established. Isaiah 5 and 21 says, Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. This verse tells us why people call evil good and good evil. It's because they do what is right in their own eyes. Remember Moses said, You shall not anymore do as we are all doing today, every man doing what is right in his own eyes. This is the Old Testament scripture. 
but still relevant for today. And generations later, in the time of the book of Judges, every man did was right in his own eyes. They were ignoring the law that Moses had established for them. And even today, people are still doing the same thing. Every man is doing what is right in his own eyes. Imagine if you had children or those of you who have children, you don't have to imagine, but think of if they were doing what was right in their own eyes. You established the norm for your household and the norms based on society, but they choose to do what's right in their own eyes. Imagine how heartbreaking that is to see your child do what's right according to their finite knowledge and then their lives crumble into despair. That's heartbreaking and same thing for God. So the reason that Moses established this prohibition that you shall not anymore do as we're doing today, every man doing what is right in his own eyes, is simple. We can see this in Proverbs 21 and 2. It says, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. The Lord judges what is right and what is wrong. We don't. So we should not be doing what is right in our own eyes, but we should seek to do what is right in God's eyes, no matter how hard it is. And we can do this by doing what his word says. Doing what's right means living according to God's word. God gave Israel a warning in Ezekiel 18 and 29. It says, you say the way of the Lord is not right. Hear now, O Israel, is it not my ways that are right and yours that are wrong? And David sums it all up for us in the book of Psalms, chapter 25, verses 8 through 9. Good and upright is the Lord, so he teaches sinners in the way. The humble he guides in what is right, and he teaches the humble his way. God has shown us the right way. All we need to do is walk in it. Thank you so much for joining me this week on the Unfolding Words podcast. You can check the show notes for resources that I've provided on the book of Judges if you choose to study it. I think it's a very eye-opening study to read the book of Judges from beginning to end. You can go to unfoldingwords.com backslash podcast and click on this show, which is episode number 97, and get the show notes. And if you're enjoying the podcast, I would love it if you would share on social media. Be sure to tag me. You can tag me on Instagram at Unfolding Words and on Twitter at Unfolding underscore Words. So I will see you back here next week. Until then, may God's word be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. God bless you.